Hello, you guys. What is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct, and welcome to the last and final episode of Halloween 2022. I feel like Halloween flew by this year because I'm typically a procrastinator and I wait till the last minute when it comes to Halloween, but I weirdly enough feel very ahead of the game. You know, when you have a bunch of assignments due and you end up doing them early all instead of the night before, that's how I feel right now. But regardless, I love Halloween. It's always my favorite time of the year. And it's always the craziest time of the year, as we always say. And I just want to thank you guys so much. And what's funny, I'm filming the final episode of Halloween today. And yesterday in the case that we did, we actually announced that we were doing Halloween this year. And you guys are so excited. You left so many amazing, supportive comments that you were looking forward to it and that you were really excited about it. And so I hope it lived up to your expectations expectations and I couldn't be more happy and grateful. So enough with the sappiness. Let's get into this last and final Halloween episode. It is a wild one. We are talking about a family murder today. We're talking about the murder of the Lisk family. So with that being said, let's jump right on into it. So who is the Lisk family? The Lisk family consists of Susan and William Lisk and their blended family of three sons. Susan was born on January 30th, 1964 to her parents, Benny and Edna Morse. She worked as an office manager and spent her free time enjoying hunting, gardening, and camping. She was known to have an infectious personality and was an amazing wife and mother, and she always prioritized her children. And Susan definitely had a very strong motherly instinct. It was said that her friend's children would even call her mom as a joke, but also it was just a play on the fact that she was very maternal and had that strong motherly instinct. And Susan was married to William Lisk. William was born on May 11th, 1957 to his parents, William Sr. and Shirley. William was an Air Force veteran, and after serving in the Air Force, he worked for a waste management company. William and Susan had many similar hobbies. William also liked hunting and fishing and being outdoors. William was definitely known for his sense of humor. He was always cracking jokes. He was always the one with the dad jokes, and he just tried to make light of every situation and always tried to make everybody feel comfortable. So Susan and William got married in 2001, and when they got together, they each had their own children. Susan had two sons named Derek and Devin, and William also had a son named William Jr., who went by BJ. Susan's son, Derek, was born on July 30th, 1987 to obviously his mother, Susan, and his father, Gary Griffin. He went to Oak Harbor High School where he graduated in 2005, and throughout school, he was very active. He participated in track and field and even had a second degree black belt. Derek loved going out on the lake and having lake days on his sailboat with his friends and hanging out with his family. He loved making everybody's days better. So when Susan and William got married, the family of now five ended up settling down in a town called Martin, Ohio. And when the two of them got married, there was obviously a lot of nerves for blending the family and how that dynamic was going to be and if it was going to be a smooth transition for their boys. 
And surprisingly and fortunately, the boys had absolutely no problem getting along with each other. They weren't very far apart in age, so they were able to, you know, get along and hang out. And they weren't best friends by any means, but they were cordial with each other and there was no tension throughout the house when it came to the boys. Now, surprisingly, the tension came into play with BJ and Susan. BJ had a very hard time making a smooth transition with his new stepmother. BJ never liked the idea of having a stepmom, and William and Susan were very hopeful that this was just a growing pains type of situation and that it would get better over time. However, unfortunately, this was not the case. BJ was known to have many violent outbursts, which we will get to in a little bit, and he was also diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder as well as bipolar disorder when he was 18 years old in 2007, so six years after they got married. And his violent outbursts weren't directed towards his friends or his stepbrothers. The outbursts were really directed at Susan and his father. Now, due to these outbursts, BJ definitely got himself into some trouble with the law. Starting all the way back in 2002, BJ had the police called on him by his father, William, because he had threatened to harm himself. However, when police got there and tried to talk to him, he ended up punching a police officer in the face. And because of that, he got faced with charges in juvenile court when he was 16 years old. Two years later in 2004, the cops were called on BJ again when he got into a physical altercation with Susan and ended up hitting her in the chest. And then two months later after that, he hit Susan over the head with a coffee cup before taking her keys and stealing her car. When BJ turned 18 years old, he attacked Susan again while she was in the shower. And this was the final straw for William. He realized in that moment that he needed to protect his wife and that BJ was now 18 years old. He was legally an adult. And if he was going to act with such violence, then he needed to move out. They still didn't want to just kick him out on the streets. This was their son. And no matter what, they wanted him to get the help that he needed. So they decided that the best thing to do for BJ would be to put him into a group home. William never gave up on his son and he always wanted BJ to feel like he was a part of the family. But after so many physical attacks on Susan and on William, William knew he needed to step in before things could potentially get worse. BJ was living at this group home for several years and was also living there at the time of the murders. And it wasn't like he was on lockdown at this group home. He was able to see his family when he wanted. He was able to come and go as he pleased, but he would always sleep at the group home. And at this group home, he was also in counseling and getting help for the disorders that he was diagnosed with. So these murders occurred on October 31st, 2010. So right on Halloween, but let's talk about what the days leading up to the murders looked like. And from a bird's eye view, these days leading up to the murders seemed very, very normal. On October 30th, 2010, so the day before the murders, BJ and William had spent their day on a hunting trip with some good friends of theirs, and everyone seemed to be in very good spirits and having a fun time. 
Later that night, William and BJ attended a Halloween party together that one of their friends was throwing. And like I said, BJ had typically spent his nights at the group home. However, because William had been drinking that night, he figured that the best thing to do would just be to drive home and have BJ spend the night at their family's home. That way he didn't have to make an extra stop along the way because where the friend's house was and where the Lisk's house was, was not far from each other. So basically, William was just thinking about the lesser of two evils in this situation. So this all brings us to October 31st, 2010, the day of the murders. On this day, Susan's son, Devin, had come home earlier in the morning from his father's house. So he had spent the night prior at his biological father's house, and then the next morning, he was scheduled to go to church. Now, before going to church, and Devin was going to the 10 o'clock service, he stopped off at Susan and William's house at around 9.30 a.m. to change his clothes. So Devin arrives home, he pulls up in his car, and when he gets there, he notices BJ is standing in the driveway and he's packing some of his belongings into William's truck. Devin and BJ exchange a few words, but the interaction was very much a passing conversation and Devin then just walked inside. So Devin changed his clothes, he heads off to church, and then he comes back home. And when he arrives home, BJ and the truck is gone, and Devin starts to notice that the house is a lot quieter than usual. This was Halloween day. He lived in a house with four people. That would be William, Susan, Derek, and himself, and obviously BJ, but BJ lived at the group home at the time. And he was used to a very hustle and bustle type of house. There was typically always something going on in the house. However, it was just pure silence. Now, at first, it didn't strike Devin as too odd. He thought maybe just everyone was busy because it was Halloween. So he ended up going upstairs into his room and playing some video games. However, once 1.30 rolled around, Devin really started to wonder why the house was so quiet. And by 2 o'clock p.m., Devin decided to get off of his video games and start looking around and seeing where everyone was. He ended up walking into Susan and William's room, and he was surprised when he saw that both his mother and William were laying in bed under their red quilt with the blanket pulled over their heads. Now, at first, Devin thought that they were sleeping or taking a nap, so he started whispering lightly to try and wake them. However, that didn't work. He then walked over to Susan's side of the bed and started shaking her leg. However, that didn't work either. He then lifted the sheet lightly and noticed that it was soaked with blood. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's instant alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. 
Now, at first, Devin thought that it was possible that this was a prank. It was Halloween, after all, and William had just been at a Halloween party the night prior, so he thought maybe William had taken some props home with him and decided to play a prank on Devin. However, when Devin fully pulled down the sheet and saw that Susan and William were lying in a pool of their own blood, he quickly realized that this was not a prank whatsoever, and that Susan, who was 46 at the time, and William, who was 53, were both dead. Now, without standing in that room for another moment, Devin ran out of the house screaming and called his aunt, who was Susan's sister, named Lori, to come over to help. Now, Lori didn't live that far away, so she immediately got in her car and started driving over. And while she was on her way to the house, she called 911 and asked for police to meet her at the home. And while speaking to the 911 dispatcher, Lori, without really even knowing anything, without seeing the crime scene for itself, and without having any real knowledge of what was going on and what had happened, was telling the 911 dispatcher that BJ, William's son, had threatened to kill Susan before. A direct quote from Lori is, quote, they've had a lot of trouble with him with the law, and he's threatened Susie before, but there's been all kinds of trouble, end quote. Now, when police arrived at the crime scene, they were able to tell that William had been shot in the head five times and Susan had been sexually assaulted before she was shot in the head three times at close range. Now, when police arrived at the home, they started walking through it and speaking to Devin and learned that Devin had an older brother named Derek. Police had asked Devin if he had spoken to Derek or if he had been in Derek's room to see if Derek was in there. However, Devin said he did not check Derek's room, and that is when police walked right up to Derek's bedroom door. When police got to the door, they noticed that Derek's door had been locked from the inside of the room, so they ended up having to kick it down, and when they did, they found 23-year-old Derek curled up on his bed with his body facing the wall, and he was also murdered. Derek's autopsy revealed that he died from blunt force trauma to his head, and police believe that the weapon that was used for Derek was a claw hammer that was found in the house with blood on it. I don't think we, any of us can imagine or begin to put into words what Devin must have been feeling in that moment. His entire world changed in the matter of seconds when he figured out that his mother, his stepfather, and his brother were all killed. And when it came to the investigation, police were able to realize pretty immediately that this was an inside job and that whoever was responsible for this was either a part of the family or knew the family. There was no sign of forced entry and the only physical evidence that they could find were some muddy footprints on the deck leading out to the pond on the family's property. Now, police knew that Devin had an alibi, considering he had been staying at his father's house the night prior and had gone to church earlier that morning. So by process of elimination, that pretty much leaves everyone accounted for except BJ. Devin had told police that when he went back home to change his clothes before going to church, BJ had asked Devin how long he had been at the house 
which at first Devin thought was a simple but strange question, but soon began to realize what BJ's true meaning behind the question was. And what BJ wanted to really know was if Devin was in the house long enough to have known what BJ had just done. Devin said that in that passing moment with BJ, nothing seemed out of the ordinary and that BJ seemed in a very upbeat and happy mood, which was actually unusual for BJ because Devin described him as typically very monotone, gloomy, and mundane, and he was the exact opposite of happy and talkative. It's also very eerie. This is just a side comment. It's very eerie to think about the fact that Devin was walking through his home sitting there playing video games for several hours, not knowing that he was sitting in the house with his dead family members. It's just very, very eerie. So now police knew that they needed to find BJ, and they knew that more than likely BJ was driving his dad William's truck for two reasons. One, that was the car that Devin had seen him packing up when Devin and BJ had that passing exchange. And two, the truck was not on the property when police got there. So the truck was missing and BJ was missing. Police learned through speaking with Devin that a relative of the Lisk family owned a cabin in Carroll County, which was about 170 miles away from the house. And wild enough, this would be the exact same cabin that BJ and William stayed in when they were hunting just the day prior. So police now were on their way to Carroll County and also informed the officers in that district to be on the lookout for the type of car that BJ was driving. And shortly after a deputy from Carroll County was notified about the situation, he decided to drive around in the area of that cabin to see if he could figure out if BJ was there or not. Now, Deputy Michael Balish drove over to the cabin and spotted the white pickup truck that belonged to William Lisk. Deputy Balish waited outside of the cabin for some time and then finally saw BJ himself walk out of the cabin, lean up against the porch, and light a cigarette. And at that point, Deputy Balish got out of his car, approached BJ with his gun drawn, and waited for backup to arrive to assist in following through with the arrest. When authorities were able to get a hold of BJ and arrest him, they noticed that he had blood on his shoes, his clothes. He also had obtained his dad William's wallet and cell phone, along with a 22 caliber rifle. Now, initially, BJ was only charged with one count of murder, and this was because the legal team stated that they needed to figure out the exact charge that they were going to go through with in court. And so because they didn't know the exact charge that they were going to give BJ, they ended up just giving him one count of murder because they knew that that would keep him in jail until they were able to make their official charges. Now, the wait did not last long. It only lasted a couple of days because in November of 2010, BJ was charged with six counts of aggravated murder. So he was charged with two counts of murder for each family member that he killed. And three out of those six charges were murder with prior calculation. And the remaining three were murder committed in the omission of aggravated robbery. And get this. BJ pled not guilty to all six charges against him. 
Hey guys, what's up? It's Savannah. I wanted to take a quick second away from Hollow Week to announce to my Killer Instinct family that I am starting a brand new podcast called My Thoughts Exactly. If you're familiar with my lifestyle channel on YouTube, then you already know that I have a lot of thoughts and I am certainly not afraid to share them. Everything from horrible breakups, self-worth, navigating friendships, health and wellness, and simply navigating life, I've shared it all. And don't worry, Killer Instinct isn't going anywhere, but I'm so excited to bring it back where it all started and tell it like it is. That includes the good, the bad, and the ugly. Think of it like us FaceTiming over a glass of wine. First episode premieres on November 9th, and you can subscribe on any podcast platform to stream it, and I can't wait to see you there. So BJ was held on a $3 million bond, and initially he did try and plead insanity. However, after two different competency evaluations, BJ was found completely competent to stand trial. Then, almost a year later, on August 12, 2011, BJ ended up switching his plea and pled guilty to three counts of aggravated murder in exchange for the death penalty to be removed. So basically, he tried to make a plea deal. And during his sentencing trial, BJ did apologize for killing his family and blamed his mental illness. However, he also blamed Satan which I will say nowhere in anything that I've read did it mention anything about BJ being involved in Satanism or being a follower of Satan or anything like that. This was really the first time that anyone had heard him talk about Satan. In September of 2011, BJ was sentenced to three life in prison sentences without the possibility of parole. He was sent to the Ross Correctional Institution, and after being there for four years on March 31st, 2015, BJ was found dead in his jail cell after he had taken his own life. So those are the facts of this case from start to finish. And to me, I'm very interested to see what you guys have to say about it because personally, I have so many questions about what happened that night. It's so horrible to think that William thought that he was doing the right thing by bringing BJ back home to spend the night at his house just for a night. I'm sure in his mind, he just thought it's just one night. It's not going to kill us. And quite literally, that is what happened. And the thing is, is we don't know how this unfolded. We don't know if a fight ensued between William and Susan and BJ or between BJ and Susan. But from the looks of it, it appears as if Susan, William, and Derek were all sleeping in their rooms and BJ decided to attack them because it wasn't like they were found in the living room or found in the kitchen where you would think it was some sort of altercation. It appears as if everyone was sleeping. And it seems more probable that Derek was probably the first one who was killed because he more than likely would have woken up to the gunshots that killed William and Susan. So it's been theorized that he murdered Derek first. That way Derek wouldn't have tried to stop him. And as far as the timeline, we really don't know what time of the night or the morning these murders occurred. However, what we do know is that neighbors of the Lisk family stated that they heard gunshots around 6.30 a.m. So if we're looking at that timeline, this doesn't seem like a middle of the night type of deal, which leads to the question of, was BJ awake all night plotting this? Or did he wake up really early to plot this? When he was driving home with William, did he know that he was going to carry this out. 
There's also been a lot of questions about why BJ let Devin walk free. It could have been very easy for BJ to pull out a gun and kill Devin when he saw him that morning. So did BJ spare Devin's life because he was on a time crunch and just wanted to get out of there as soon as possible? Or was it because the adrenaline of the rage that he had when he had committed these murders was over at that time and he didn't feel the need to? Again, Devin got home at 9.30 in the morning to change before church. And if we're looking at the timeline that BJ murdered his parents and Derek at around 6.30 in the morning, that leaves a three-hour time window. So it doesn't necessarily seem like BJ was in a rush to get out of there because he could have just grabbed the wallet, grabbed the gun, grabbed what he wanted, and drove away. However, he stayed for at least three hours. It's just heartbreaking to think that in a split second, Devin lost his entire family. His entire world has been turned upside down. And spending the night at his dad's house really more than likely saved his life. So that, you guys, is the case of the Lisk family murders. And that is the last episode of Halloween 2022. All right, you guys, it has been a wild Halloween journey, but I hope you guys enjoyed it. I want to know your favorite case from Halloween, which one really resonated with you the most. I'm really interested to hear what you guys have to say about all of these cases. I can't wait to know your opinions on all of these cases. But with that being said, you guys, that's all for me today. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. Thank you so much for tuning in to the last episode of Halloween. If you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I'm your host of Killer Instinct. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly on the podcast every Wednesday and again, every Thursday on YouTube as well. And you're not going to want to miss it. I'll be back next week with a brand new case for you guys. And until then, happy Halloween and stay safe. Bye guys. America, we are endowed by our creator, with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu.